Alright folks, this is uh, the Great Indo-European Horse Sacrifice. 4,000 years of cosmological continuity from Shintashta and the steppe to Scandinavian Skeed. Okay, I'll uh, put a link for this. It's a full book, full 400 pages about horse sacrifice, uh, PDF. Uh, I'll put I'll put the link on, in the description. Okay, the Great Indo-European Horse Sacrifice is one of the most enduring and widespread traditions in world history. This study presents a historic overview of Indo-European studies and shows the cosmological continuity of the horse sacrificial tradition based on specific cultural innovations and ecological adaptations over time. It also sheds new light on cultural history through in-depth analysis of horse sacrifice in culture and cosmology. From Shintasta in Russia. Okay, from from Shintasta in Russia and the steppes to the legendary Ashwamedha ritual in India and horse sacrifices in Roman, Greek, and Irish traditions. And analysis finds that horse sacrifice appears to have been most successful in Scandinavia with classic sites and funerals such as Sagaholm, Kivik, and Haga in the Bronze Age and Old Uppsala, Rakne, and Oseberg in the Iron Age. The horse sacrifice tradition shows that these cosmological rituals were closely related to the region's ecology the weather and the availability of water that was required for a successful harvest. In the cold north, the sun was important for cultivation, but it was the relation between water and winter that defined the seasons and called for horse rituals as recent skied tra traditions show. Understanding horse sacrifice as an institution therefore provides new insights into prehistoric religion from the Bronze Age to recent fo folklore in ru rural Scandinavia. Alright, this is the contents. Uh, tradition through time. Creation of cosmos and world history. Ideal types, theory and method. The meaning of the concept Indo-European use and misuse. Um, alright, let's see, preface, okay, let's start with one, chapter one, traditions through time. Ultimately, I will consider these myths of creation as one of the world's most successful systems of ideology, given that they provided the mystifications and legitimations that sustained an extremely wide, widespread, stable and durable, but also extremely rigid, hierarchic and exploitative social system. That was uh, Bruce Lincoln. Okay, question, questions. Interest in the Indo-European question is greater than ever. This is in large part due to major breakthroughs in the Analysis of ancient DNA, ADNA, which has resulted in new data and evidence, but which has also raised new questions. Indo that was 2018. Indo-European horse sacrifice is one of the world's most ancient and widespread traditions. We trace parts of the practice across large parts of Europe and Central Asia in the period 2100 BC to 1900 AD, albeit in culturally specific and changing forms. Moreover, the tradition has moreover the tradition also impacted social developments in many spheres because this cosmogenic ritual embodied worldviews that affected most other spheres of lives and living. This interdisciplinary and cultural historic study with an emphasis on religion and comparative cosmologies in context will. Alright, I'm gonna read the horse sacrifice as ideal type. The late 1920s marked a breakthrough in Indo-European horse studies. As early as 1925, the Indian Ashwamedha sacrifice was compared to the Roman October Ecus ritual. 
Arthur B. Keith writes, the original, the original force of the right is somewhat obscure. The possibility of comparison with the October horse at Rome is obvious and the eating of the horse, the fertility rite in which it appears and the obscenity of the conversation point to the vegetation ritual but the absence of any suggestion that the horse was a vegetation spirit or that its body was in part used for a direct vegetation magic is against that theory. The Ashwamedha offering was one made to the sun, conceived as a steed in order to strengthen him for his course in the heaven. Hmm. It almost feels like we went from literally I'm saying it's like a completely different way of it's like a completely different level of consciousness, man. Like that's what I, that's what I'm saying. When I keep like like the Bible and all these like um these ancient tales, mythology. They have all these animals and stuff in it, and it, 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 like. It really made me wonder if, if, um, I don't know, I think it was like a state of consciousness instead of like legit, oh, you know, we had, I don't know, I'll just keep reading, okay. Um, Paul. Emile Dumont published his study on the Indian horse sacrifice and Ashwamedha in 1927, noting the close parallels with Greek horse sacrifice. Hmm. Franz Rolf Schroeder was the first to point out the close parallels between Indian and Irish horse rituals, while George Dumezel claimed that the Roman October horse preserved remnants of a common Indo-European ritual linked to kingship, also analogous to the Vedic Ashwamedha and the Irish consecrated sacrifice described by, okay, from early Europe, the, the Near East and Western Asia, we possess an immense amount of archaeological, antiquarian, ethnographic, mythological, and folkloristic material concerning the horse. The only viable starting point in past research is a kind of triptych depicting Indo-European horse sacrifice, the centerpiece of which is the well-documented and much-studied ancient Indian Ashvamedha ritual. One side panel is composed of the Roman October Echos, as interpreted by George Dum. Dumezel, the other by Celtic analogs first used by Franz Rolf Schroeder. While these studies and the traditions they, they established have been of great importance, their Nordic counterparts have not received sufficient attention. Swedish archaeologist Oscar Almgren's classic study of rock art and cult suggests that the rock engravings on one of the famous stone slabs in the royal have been interpreted as a horse fight and more specifically as a Nordic parallel to the Roman October sacrifice, an interpretation that Guttum Yessing described as being of great interest 15 years later. <clears throat> Just a bunch of names dropping, blah, 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 to buy their books, suck a dick. He interprets it as a way for the horse's vital life forces to be transferred to the dead. Um, wait, what? Okay, thus there existed a scholarly tradition that saw continuity in ritual horse tradition over several millennia from the Bronze Age to the 19th century. However, this research tradition has been marginalized. The North or Northern historic 
developments are key to understanding the Indo-European horse sacrifice tradition with historic continuity up to the 20th century. Scandinavian archaeology may also contain some of the earliest traces of at least one prototype of this great Indo-European horse ritual and sacrificing tradition. While the Indian Ashwamedha is the most famous, it is dated quite late as documented in text, though it obviously builds on much older traditions. The texts documenting this sacrifice are commonly dated from around 500 to 300 BC. The Greek or Roman sacrifices date to similar and later periods, while the Irish sacrifices took place around the turn of the first millennium AD. Hence, Scandinavian prehistory may reveal traces of this tradition that are 1,000 to 1,500 years older than the Indian, Greek, or Roman documentation dating back to around 1800 BC, blah, blah, blah. Okay, here we go. I just wanna I just wanna get to what the fuck it's about, what they do. It's like god damn man, who the fuck writes this shit? The Vedic and Indian horse sacrifice. The Indian Ashwamedha ritual is the most elaborate horse sacrifice in existing history. First of all, when I was in India, I never heard of this shit. But it's interesting. It has also d- drawn the most attention from international scholars, partly because of the sexual act in which the queen copulates with the dead stallion's phallus. Now, see all this shit. I don't know, man. Like, I don't know if <laughs> this made me think of Isis from Egypt, the goddess Isis, who did the same thing with the dead horse, dead with the phallus of the dead king she impregnated herself is the same is the same theme but if that is the case that's uh, that's crazy this was a special rite performed by the kings with the aim of expanding their kingdom obtaining offspring or atoning for a sin a particularly fine stallion was chosen to roam freely for a year and whenever the horse visited a foreign country the ruler, meaning the sacrificer, had to conquer that kingdom. Wow. After a year, the horse returned as a symbol of the sun on its journey across the world, making the ruler the king of the whole earth and cosmos. This is a Vedic thing, apparently. Okay. The rite concluded with the great sacrifice of several hundred animals, culminating in sacrifice of the stallion. The rite glorified the king, but also secured the fertility of the whole kingdom, which was visually illustrated by the queen having sexual intercourse with the dead horse's phallus. That's crazy. As with other practices on the Indian continent, it is unclear how often the Ashwamedha ritual was conducted. This is what I'm saying. Where where are they getting all this shit from? <laughs> like, wh- how is... The, like, okay, anyways. Some of the early documentation of the ritual is featured on coins or in inscriptions which may or may not represent historic events. If they do document actual sacrifices... It is estimated that around 30 such grand sacrifices were conducted from the 2nd century BC. Okay. Other sources describe the, the ritual as a much more common act, for instance, during the blah, 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 blah. On a general note, these are cosmic rites and myths in which the power of cosmos is controlled and bent by human will for human benefit. If horses are gods, then taming horses is an interaction with the divine in which humans participate and channel the cosmic flow of powers. If horses are gods, why would horses be gods? I need to look more. Like, 
I mean, I get it. They were like, they're they are very majestic creatures. Hmm. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> well, I guess the bull, the horse, these fuckers were worshipped as gods before. Hmm. Okay, this has its counterpart in human sexual activities. Although the explicit Indian ritual involves copulation between the queen and the stallion and the feeding of the stallion by the queen, one can detect from other parts of the ritual another probably older form of the rite in which the king united with a dangerous mare to gain, to gain virility. <clears throat> by conquering mares, Men actively tame cosmic forces. By dominating women, stallions control female forces. Their sexuality is pacified as they are violated. This is a gender theme we will return to throughout the book as Indo-European ideology is generally understood to be violent and masculine at the expense of women. If one can use mythology and cosmology to understand actual practices and people of the past, the horse-sacrificing tradition may shed new light on life in ancient societies and women's position within them. You know, the Bible has... <laughs> uh, <clears throat> the Bible talks about the stuff. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll show you. Um, uh, what was it? Okay, Ezekiel twenty three twenty. There she lusted after her lovers, whose genitals were like those of donkeys, and whose emission was like that of a of horses. <laughs> okay, this is Ezekiel twenty three twenty. This shit's in the Bible, man. All right, um, the Irish horse sacrifice. Also in the Bible, when Jesus says, "Come to me, all who are." Here, let me actually find the verse. Come to me, all who are weary. Okay. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Right. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Imagine Jesus as a horse telling you this. Bojack Horseman. <laughs> Alright, the Irish horse sacrifice. In Ireland, horse sacrifice was part of the regal inauguration rite in Ulster. The Irish ritual was documented by Geraldus Cambrensis in 1185 AD, though the sources blah 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 don't care, just... He describes the ritual as follows. There is in the northern and further part of Ulster... Namely, in Canel Canel Canel, a certain people which is accustomed to appoint its king with a right altogether outlandish and abominable. When the whole people of that land has been gathered together in one place, a white mare is bought is brought forward into the middle of the assembly. He who is to be inaugurated not as a chief but as an outlaw has bestial intercourse with her before all professing himself to be a beast also. See this this sounds a lot like this whole thing with the with the horse stuff and the story of Samson when he is at the wedding Samson when he said if you when he says Judges 14.18 Before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. If you would have not plowed with my heifer. Hmm, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> the mare is then killed. Immediately, cut up in pieces and boiled in water. I'm telling you, man, the Bible is a 
fucked up. I mean, it's it's not okay. It doesn't have to be fucked up. If you don't if you don't want to look at it that way. But I'm just saying, like <laughs> Judges fourteen eighteen was that right? So let me read the whole. This is Judges fourteen. Samson's marriage. It's it's just. If if you okay, if you had not plowed my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Then the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon, killed thirty of their men, took their apparel, and gave their clothes to those who had solved the riddle. Burning with an- anger, Samson returned to his father's house, and his wife was given to one of the men who had accompanied him. This is all talking about horses. <laughs> what if Samson was a horse? I mean, well, okay, maybe not a. I don't know. It's just very inter- interesting because he does talk about with the donkey's jawbone. I've killed a thousand men. When he goes, yeah, he's like in in Judges fifteen. 14. When Samson arrived in Lehi, the Philistines came out shouting against him, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. The ropes on his arms became like burnt flax, and the bonds broke loose from his hands. He found the fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand, and took it and struck down a thousand men. So, at least we know that donkeys were being sacrificed, because fresh jawbone of a donkey... With the jawbone of a donkey, I've piled them into heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey, I've slain a thousand men. Or maybe, huh? When when Samson had finished speaking, he cast the jawbone from his hand, and he named that place Ramath Lehi. And being very thirsty, Samson cried out to the Lord, "You have accomplished this great deliverance through your servant." Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? So God opened up the hollow place in Lehi, and water came out of it. And Samson drank his strength returned, and he was revived. This is why he named it En Hakor, and it remains in Lehi. And Samson judged Israel for 20 years in the days of... Hmm, this sounds kind of like... What if this is all just a ritual? Because here, as you shall see. Uh, where did he go? Okay. Okay, the mare is then killed immediately, cut up in pieces and boiled in water. A bath is prepared for the man afterwards in the same water. He sits in the bath, surrounded by all his people, and all he and they eat of the meat of the mare which is brought to them. He quaffs and drinks of the broth in which he is bathed, not in any cup or using his hand, but just dipping his mouth into it round about him. Round about him. When his unrighteous right has been carried out, his kingship and dominion have been conferred. Hmm. This all kind of sounds similar. So it was all like a, like a ritual. And then, because then it says, and Samson judged Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. I don't know what is going on here. It's like a horse and a shaman maybe working together. I don't know. Something that's going on here. Okay. Um... As a ritual tradition, it appears to be a very distant prototype of the horse ritual and sacrifice in which cosmic powers were tamed by the future king. With with his participation in the ritual legitimating his divine rule. 
This tradition seems to be distinct from those that the Vikings brought to the Hebrides, while which focused mainly on horse racing and riding in processions. The latter is is, is the more recent skied tradition, S-K-E-I-D, but even this has more explicit explicit Proto-Indo-European traits as one goes further back in time. Nevertheless, the Irish the Irish tradition documented in Ulster seems to be a much more archaic ritual that did not evolve much over the centuries as it contains many of the features one would expect in one of the prototypes of this cosmogenic sacrifice. While rituals and funerals may reverse common and daily structures, royal symbolism is, I believe, constructed out of non-royal symbolism, both logically and probably also historically. All symbolic constructions of authority involve the same elements. I agree. The Irish ritual is religion by definition, following the literal Latin meaning religio, binding together, or to reconnect bonds or relations, and socio meaning compassion. The initiated king sits in the bath, sharing the sacrificial meat with his people, thus creating bonds and relations, a social activity that reflects compassion. Santa Claus giving out gifts? Hmm. Maybe it's something else. The compassionate aspect also involves violence and rebounding violence as... The element of violence involved in the renunciation of vitality leads to the return of vitality in a form which brings about aggressive reproduction of the community through consumption of the vitality of of outsiders. Rebounding of violence can either take a reproductive form in which vitality is regained from creatures such as pigs or cattle, cattle, or an aggressive form in which this recovery becomes extended to involve more ambitious expansionist aims. Having sexual intercourse with a horse is rape, a molestation of the animal after which it is killed. Hence, violence creates vitality which is also how divinities are depicted in mythology. Violence creates vitality, which is also how divinities are depicted in mythology. Hmm. The Greek horse sacrifice. It has been said that the miracle of Greece is not merely the result of a unique talent. It also owes its its existence to the simple phenomenon that the Greeks are the most easterly of the Westerners. Herodotus documented, for instance, horse sacrifice as part of a royal funeral among the Scythians, who reigned in their kingdom north of the Black and Caspian Seas. They lay the corpse in this grave on a pallet. Dude, this sounds just like what the Hindus do, man. Burning the bodies on the pallets. Then they stick spears into the ground on both sides of the corpse and make a roof out of wooden planks covered with rush matting. There is still open space left within the grave and in it they bury, after throttling them to death, one of the king's concubines, his wine server, cook, groom, steward and messenger and some horses and a proportion of all his other possessions including some gold cups this sounds like the story of joseph and the pharaoh and the and the winemaker and the bread maker hmm they do not put anything of silver and bronze in the grave the important role of horses is downplayed or misunderstood as they were as important as the wine server and the cook. In Greek sources, Posanius describes a horse sacrifice which involved a divine rape. 
When Demeter was wandering in search of her daughter, she was followed, it is said, by Poseidon, who lusted after her. So she turned, the story runs, into a mare and grazed with the other mares of Onsius. Realizing that he was outwitted, Poseidon too changed into a stallion and enjoyed Demeter. At first, they say, Demeter was angry at what had happened, but later on she laid aside her wrath and wished to bathe in the Leyden. What? At first, they say, Demeter was angry at what had happened, but later on she laid aside her wrath and wished to bathe in the Leyden. Demeter, they said, had by Poseidon a daughter whose name they are not wont to divulge to the uninitiated and a horse called Arian. For this reason they say that they were the first Arcadians to call Poseidon horse to call Poseidon horses horse. Pausanias also describes the sacrifice of a horse as part of a funeral. <clears throat> Pausanias also describes the sacrifice of a horse as part of a funeral. Further on is what is called the tomb of horse. Huh, that's interesting because the tomb of, Okay, for Tyndarius having sacrificed a horse here, administered an oath to the suitors of Helen, making them stand upon the pieces of the horse. The oath was to defend Helen and him who might be chosen to marry her if ever they should be wronged. When he, swore, when he had sworn the suitors, he buried the horses here. Thus, horse sacrifices were not unknown in Greece, but as horses were not so common, their sacrifice was also more rare. Horses were rarely eaten or sacrificed in the ancient Mediterranean. From time to time, however, horse sacrifice was enacted as part of funerary celebrations. Horses are, however, very closely associated with heroes in Greek mythology. This in itself is probably a reflection of earlier common Indo-European notions, including the royal horse sacrifice. The relationship between heroes and horses is particularly evident. This appears to be rooted in a common predisposition predisp toward the anthropomorphizing of horses and the concomitant hippomorphizing of humans. This links this issue to one of the more recognizable figures in, of Greek mythology, the centaur. Even if the ritual of the great horse sacrifice was not particularly widely practiced, practiced in Greece, the memory of the ritual may have influenced Greek poetry. Though the Greeks did not inherit the ritual itself, the notions and ideology associated with it in the mother cultures may have shaped themes of early Greek myth and poetry. To, co to quote Ryan Platt, this is I'm saying, they quote, okay, research into a prominent horse sacrifice ritual in the parent culture reveals several insights into the nature of this common inheritance, namely that a ritualistic shift in identity between horse and human was central to the event. Makes me think of the movie Spirit. Or it's like it's it's crazy, man. Like the 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 bond between horse, human, horse, dog. It's like humans are here because of animals, man. We have made it this far because of animals. Okay, the Roman horse sacrifice. The horse sacrificed to Mars on the Campus Martius in Rome was known as the October Horse. Every year on 15th October, the right-hand horse of the winning pair in a chariot race was sacrificed. What did it say? And Jesus, he said, and I will sit on the right hand of God. Mm -hmm. The Roman horse sacrifice has been interpreted, interpreted in three different ways. First, the sacrifice is a military rite. 
and as a warlike animal, the horse is an appropriate object of sacrifice. Second, the horse sacrifice is a Roman equivalent of the Indian Ashwamedha. Okay, so with the Indian stuff, one interesting thing is the horses and chariots completely change the game. And on the Indian map, in the middle, you have a wheel, which is probably a, a chariot wheel. Because India, Delhi, and the up north in that area were huge with selling, training, breeding horses, apparently, back in the day. And third, the horse personifies the corn spirit, or a vegetation daemon, who is killed during the harvest. These interpretations have been variously supported by the sparse sources that mention the October horse, which include these authors. Polybius, again in his history of the wars against Pyrrhus, he says that the Romans still keep up the memory of the fall of Troy. On a certain fixed day, they kill with thrusts or even a thrust of a javelin, a war horse before the city on what they call the campus, the Field of Mars. Plutarch, why on the Ides of December, should be October, after a horse race, is the right-hand horse, wait, if this guy is saying, huh, interesting, okay, after horse race, is the right-hand horse of the winning chariot consecrated and sacrificed to Mars, and why does someone cut off its tail, carry it to what is called Regia, and there bloody the altar, while with respect to the head, certain men, some descending from what is called Sacravia, and others from Subura, engage in battle. Festus, the horse which is immolated each year in the month of October on the field of Mars is called October Ecus. This is the one which was harnessed on the right hand side of the chariot which won a race. Let me find the verse where Jesus talks about it. Jesus right hand of God. Jesus and the Father. Okay, let me see. Just give me some verses. At God's right hand. Okay, give me some verses. Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Mm, Jesus was a horse. Jesus was a horse. Okay. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Blah, blah, blah. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. The throne is probably just the chariot. Majesty in heaven. Well, you can, you know, it's you can... Translate that how you want, man. Anyways, going back. Mm. Well, this is what okay, and, and earnest struggle then took place for the head of this horse between the people of Subura and those of Sacravia, the former trying to place it on the wall of the Regia, the latter, the Taurus Mamilia. The tail of the same horse is carried to Regia quickly enough so that drops of blood can fall from it onto the hearthstone in order to make it share in sacrifice. They say that the horse was sacrificed to Mars in his character as god of war and not as the vulgar think because the Romans, taking their origin from Ilion, they were revenging themselves on it since Troy was taken, taken by the enemy by means of a wooden horse. Hmm. George Dumezel sees a clear parallel with India and argues that the Ecus October presents a direct homology with the Vedic sacrifice of the horse. 
In The Golden Bow, James G. Fraser was explicit in his interpretation of this sacrifice as a fertility rite. The field of Mars, on which the ceremony took place beside the Tiber and formed part of the king's domain down to the abolition of the monarchy, for tradition ran that at the time when the last of the kings was driven from Rome, the corn stood ripe for the sickle on the crown lands beside the river, but no one would eat the accursed grain, and it was flung into the river in such heaps that the water being low with the summer heat, it formed the nucleus of an island. The horse sacrifice was thus an old autumn custom observed upon the king's cornfields at the end of the harvest. The tail and the blood of the horse as the chief as the chief parts of the corn spirits representa representative were taken to the king's house and kept there. Thus the blessing of the corn spirit was brought to the king's house and hearth and through them to the community of which he was the head. Hmm. A possible connection between early Greek mythology and Roman tradition has been pointed out in the legend of the, of the Trojan horse, which may be understood as a horse sacrifice. The horse was brought into Troy and presented to the goddess at her sanctuary as one would present a sacrifice. Also, the striking of the horse with a spear by Laocoon has been interpreted to reflect a sacrificial rite, maybe reflecting an earlier, more explicitly sacrificial version of the story. This connection seems to have been readily accepted in ancient Rome. It, is, it was a common belief that the historic origin of the Echos October lay in the slaughter of a horse in retribution for the horse that brought about the fall of Troy, the mythical homeland of the Romans. Polybius, for instance, confirms that this was indeed a common Roman explanation for the Echos October ritual. The sacrifice of the horse with a spear, like the one used by Laocoon, must have either developed from this belief or at least given credence to it. Saul tried to spear David. Hmm. Shakespeare. Okay. Indo-European horizons and worldviews. Recently, historian of religion David M. Knipe criticized the above-mentioned approach. He argues that the popularity of the Ashwamedha ritual and sacrifice outside India is due in part to the huge spectacle of the year-long rite with its cast of many hundreds and Indian Noah's Ark collection of wild and domestic animals, as many as 636 in one account, and the cachet of a handsome stallion wandering free to seek new pastures and conquer new territory for the king in the bargain. Mostly, however, its no no notoriety west of India is gained from apparent Indo-European roots and knowledge of counterparts in the Roman October horse ancient Scandinavian myths and rites, and Celtic and Greek mare sacrifice. There was this movie, um, The Last Unicorn. It's an old animated movie where there's a red bull that was uh, basically taking all the last unicorns of, of the earth and I don't know, it's just very interesting, like, <laughs> I don't know, man, it's, it's very interesting, like, the the stories in the past of the half-human, half-horse stuff, or just the half, it's like, it's very interesting, because, I mean, they say, like, man is a sum of you know 
all these animals and it's like I don't know, man. It's very interesting. Okay, anyways. Uh, let's see. Part of me. Sacrifice. Where was I? From an, archaeolo- from an archaeological point of view, however, we may turn the criticism upside down and use it to our advantage to argue that this claim sums up the comparative ambitions of Indo-European studies. This is why it is necessary to return to Ashwamedha to gain a deeper understanding understanding of 4,000 years of cultural historic development. Also, as the grandest sacrifice in the world, it gives insight into numerous fields that have archaeological implications, like, the, like all the other and minor animals sacrificed as part of and before the main sacrifice. We will address this and other criticism of comparative Indo-European studies like this one. Such critiques highlight the problems faced by previous generations of researchers and their approach to solving these challenges has established has established new research traditions. In short, it is not enough to show correlations in time and space. One needs to analyze causation and show how this represents historic realities and cultural history cultural history without with changing let me just okay. Moving to the east, Shintashta is located in Chelyabinsk Oblast, Russia in the steppe just east of the Ural Mountains. It consists of a fortified settlement dating to 2800 to 1600 BC. It gives its name to the so-called Shintashta culture, a forerunner of the Andro-Novo culture and in extension to the Indo-Iranian cultures, Vedic and ancient. Vedic and ancient Iranian. Five cemeteries have been documented at Shintashta. Shintashta Mogila is the largest and consists of 40 graves. Some of the graves included horse sacrifices with as many as eight horses in a single grave and some were chariot burials, including the oldest known chariots ever found. The funerary sacrifices at Shintashta have strong similarities to funerary rituals described in the Rig Veda, an ancient Indian religious text often associated with the Proto-Indo-Iranians. I heard maybe the Brahmins were basically the Jews, one of the lost tribes of the Jews. Maybe the Brahmins, the Ainus... Who knows? This also raises the question of whether there is an Indo-European connection to the recent steppe cultures that are famous for their horse sacrifices. Okay, moving to the west in Scandinavia, horses were introduced as a somewhat later at a at a somewhat later stage, but it is responsible but it is reasonable to argue that they were part of Indo-European processes. While horses were definitely present in the Nordic Early Bronze Age and probably even earlier, their importance strongly increased in the Late Bronze Age. Okay, just fucking hey, somebody give me like just... Creation of Cosmos and World History Alright, um, chapter 11, check this out, cultural history and cosmology, Indo-European and Scandinavian traditions, this part right here, in historic times, the Little Ice Age and the Irish famines in the 18th and 19th century resulted in death and immense suffering, successive failed harvests, the wrong combination of water and rain year after year can cause massive death and misery. Rituals may aim to mitigate catastrophes, particularly those related to changes in weather, seasons, and nature. But to what extent do real events divine? Okay. So there's a story. 
It is argued by the processual school in archaeology that there are systems so basic in nature, in nature that culture and individuals are powerless to divert them. This is a trend towards determinism. Also, the Little Ice Age was caused by a volcano eruption. <clears throat> Alright. Um, there is a close link between discarding notions of cultural belief and of the individual by materialist approaches. I mean, those that infer cultural meanings from the relationship between people and their environment. Within such a framework... Okay, what the fuck? Okay, there we go. Here we go. Um, when talking about the 536 event, it is important to keep in mind that this volcanic eruption was not an isolated event, as there was most likely another major volcanic eruption in 540 and probably again in 547. But for simplicity's sake, we will refer to this cold period with volcanic eruptions as the 536 event, okay? In recent years, archaeologists and historians have focused on the natural disasters that should have affected the climate just before the middle of the 500s. This has also led to a new interpretation of the Roque Stone. The impact on the climate of this series of severe volcanic events was dramatic and is well attested to by data from all over the northern hemisphere which shows abnormally cold summers for the period 536 to 50 CE. God damn. That's a long time, man. The authors refer to Charpentier, blah, blah, studies of climate change over millennia in northern Europe. <clears throat> in the Norse apocalypse, the wolf Fenrir swallows the sun. Mmm. What could that be? <laughs> the relationship between the sun and winter. Cold, infertile water or death is central here. Before the sun is killed by the wolf Fenrir at the beginning of the Ragnarok battle, she gives birth to a daughter. This dramatic event possibly re related to the return of the sun after 536 CE is the first step in a cosmological transformation. This world will perish, but the battle between the gods and the destructive forces, including Fenrir, will give rise to a new world where soul's daughter will shine. On the stone itself, some of the descriptions include references to horses, but they are difficult to interpret. Ride the horse, did the bold champion, chief of men, over the shores of the Raiose, Raiose, that is, over the eastern horizon. Now he sits armed on his horse, his shield strapped, foremost of the famous, this let us say as twelfth, where the horse of the battle, that is the wolf, where the horse of the battle, that is the wolf, sees food on the battlefield, where twenty kings lie. How and why do eschatological concepts relate to climate? The study by argues, okay, Roman warm period circa AD 1 to 300, a dark age cold period circa AD 300 to 800, a medieval warm period circa AD 800 to 1300, and a little ice age circa AD 1300 to 1900. The little ice age cooling, especially during the 17th century, appears to be more severe than the cooling during the Dark Ice Age cold period. In our reconstruction, the amplitude is 0.89 degrees Celsius between the warmest decade, the 950s, and the coldest, the 1690s. Man, they had all this fucking information. Okay, <clears throat> in other words, the severe cooling around 536 to 550 AD in fact started around 380 almost 200 years before the supposed triggering natural disaster 
Additionally, the decades around 1650 AD were actually much colder compared to the 500s. Also, the Viking Age was part of the medieval warm period, where 800 AD was significantly warmer than the 550 AD, with a warm peak around 950 AD. In short, the runes were warm. Sorry. In short, the runes were made in a warm period. Given this climate history, the Fimbul winter was never further away. I'm telling you, winter is coming. All this shit. All this shit. The patterns are there. Neither of the authors of this study have the linguistic competence to question the interpretation of the text itself which is based on Bo Ralph's 2007 translation but the Roke Stone has a long history of translations resulting in quite different interpretations of the text. Stone has been the subject of extensive research with interpretations of varying strength. Somebody out there if you're listening try try to try to look at it through the con to through the lens of music. Try looking at it through music. Okay. Uh, this is ancient Germanic poetry designed the Ostrogoths, designate the Ostrogoths. However, beyond the interpretation itself, one must also look at the relationship between. Okay. One can. My argument will be Fenrir in. The Battle of Ragnarok, the wolf Fenrir is probably a volcano. Okay. <laughs> Let me see. It's just so interesting, man. This, this, our history basically, how we got here, how the fuck all this took place, it's a, it's a giant puzzle, we're trying to figure it out, and once we figure it out, I'm sure it's gonna go all, um, oh my god, what's the term, Call of Duty prestige mode again, we can start all over. <laughs> That's how many times we've been doing this shit. Apparently, in Hinduism, they say we've been doing this forever, and it's just gonna keep going. It's never gonna end. Apparently, that's that's uh, evolution right there. All right, I'm just gonna read the epilogue. Antiquity will attempt to summarize and criticize the work of those who are recreating the past. Archaeology is a branch of science which achieves its results by means of excavation, fieldwork, and comparative studies, it is founded upon the observation and, rec and record of facts. Today, the accumulated riches of yours lie to our hand, and the time is ripe for interpretation and synthesis. That was 1927. God damn, they were saying this shit back then. Archaeology, Ethnography, and Ethnology. In 1927, the year Oscar Almgren Almgren published his famous study of rock art in Scandinavia favoring the Indo-European perspectives. Antiquity published the first volume of his journal. The editorial notes opened with the lines quoted above and they remain as valid today as they were almost a century ago. On the one hand, there have never been as many excavations and publications as in archaeology today. Still, the main challenge remains to break out of okay on the one hand indo-european studies have suffered for a long time primitive and proto-nationalist studies whether focusing on various nationalist or european identities Still, there may be historic continuities and traditions which we find both fascinating and important, important to highlight. This book is about 4,000 years of cosmological continuity in time and space. However, all traditions change. If, broadly speaking, the process of 
Indo-Europeanization is like ripples on water spreading concentrically from a core area and becoming vaguer and more diffuse in time and space. When does the Indo-Europeanization process stop and become something else and when does it become irrelevant? The spread of language and core elements of religion and mythology can be understood through this metaphor but a common origin does not explain anything in itself however shared cultural patterns and similarities in the past may help understand specific historic developments and cultural his cultural history but is not suitable for framing contemporary policies or national processes because that creates a future based on a past that never existed. On the contrary, what this study has shown is that Indo-European perspectives may work as a source of ancient knowledge as an archaeological mimmers well in which the history of archaeological thought is contained. Um... Metaphorically speaking, the well of wisdom had a, had a continuity over more than four millennia. The well of wisdom is your heart. It's your subconscious. You hold all the stories inside you. The ancient Indo-Europeans succeeded in forming an ideological system of language and traditions which seem to have had an almost unmatched ability to survive in various contexts during a very long time. The Indo-European heritage has provided a very receptive background for regional and local adaptation, which has also enabled unique cultural specific innovations, but where distinctive original features can still be traced after millennium. Ultimately, I will consider these myths of creation as one of the world's most successful systems of ideology, given that they provided the mystifications and legitimations, legitimations that sustained an extremely widespread, stable, and durable, but also extremely rigid, hierarchic, and exploitative social system. Man, fucking... Alright, that's it for that one. Peace.